we stand together in honor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. From John chapter 1, just after John the Baptist has been introduced to the narrative. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, he says, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, John exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard John say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, Rabbi, where are you staying? Jesus said to them, come and see. They came and they saw where he was staying and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means anointed one. Andrew brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter, the rock. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. As you're seated, we invite our children, grades kindergarten through second grade, to be dismissed for their time of children's worship. Let's pray together, please. Oh God, through song, scripture, sermon, the sacred moment, may we see what is ours to see. May we do what is ours to do. Invite us into this work of love, and we will give ourselves to you. Amen. Typically, when we want to convey basic information to another person, We simply answer the question that was asked or provide some kind of data, convey some kind of data through word or through a graph or an image to help somebody understand what we understand. But if we want someone to have a fuller understanding, to really experience and and get what we're saying, we might say to them, come and see yourself. 
Come and see for yourself. Come and see is a recurring theme in the Gospel of John. It appears four different times in the, in the reading for this morning where Jesus responds to the question, where are you staying with come and see? To a few verses later in chapter 1 where Philip answers Nathaniel's question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip responds, come and see. Then in John chapter 4, there's the story of Jesus and the woman, at the Samaritan woman at the well. She's come at a different time of day. She's not included with the rest of the community for whatever reasons. Jesus engages her in conversation. And when she returns to her village, she says to the people, Come and see this man who told me everything about myself. And then finally in John chapter 11, when Jesus goes to be with his friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, when Lazarus is gravely ill, only to find that he has died, he's been buried. Where have you laid him, Jesus asked, and they say to the Lord, come and see. Kind of sounds like a children's title, book title. Kind of a first grade reader, come and see. But it's hardly that simple, is it? In each instance, there is this invitation to move beyond just information, beyond just answering a question or receiving some data, but to enter into a particular space and to see with one's own eyes and to have one's own experience and encounter. Come and see. Teacher, where are you staying? They're not asking about Location. They're not asking for uh, recommendations on a hotel to stay in in town. They're not curious about where he keeps his suitcase. What they're asking is, where are you grounded? What's home base for you? What's your deepest vision and value in this world, Jesus? Help us understand the the pad from which you launched this unique and transforming, this radical ministry of yours. Where, Where are you staying? And Jesus' answer, the two part answer, is the same now as it was back then. Come, change your location either mentally, spiritually, sometimes physically, relocate. Be incarnational. Come stand where I stand. Come see from my vantage point, says Jesus. Come look from my angle and then see. See what my angle, my view on life invites you to see that you perhaps have never seen before. It takes courage. It takes uh, some curiosity. It takes some, some chutzpah, really, especially for a church like Highland Baptist Church, 124 years old, to critique and recast its sense of vision can be disorienting and dis, uh, disarming. Uh, many of us uh, recognize that there are things we do, Patterns of life, habits and assumptions that we've used for years, that worked for years. And now we wonder, do they still work? Are they still needed? Are they still helpful? Life changes. Seasons change. We change. It happens. 
I told the other services a kind of a true confession of a, a habit that I've had for over 30 years. For 30 years, I've given time each and every day to this habit that I, I picked up some 30 years ago. It has to do with my hair. For 30 years, I parted it from left to right. Why? Because 30 years ago, uh, a friend of mine, who, by the way, is bald, I should have never taken advice from a bald-headed guy, suggested that it looked, might look more sophisticated to comb my hair from left to right. But in order to do that, I was going against everything in my hair. I had to blow dry it every day. I had to put hair product on it every day. I had to put hairspray on it. And then I had to stay away from hats and rain. And one day I asked myself, why are you doing this? And with a few strokes of the brush, I've combed it in the other direction and I've never looked back. I feel like Martin Luther King, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty I'm free at last. I'd be embarrassed telling you this story, except I know you have the same things in your life. Things that you do that you've never really thought about. Why? Why am I doing this? It happens all the time in church. Life changes. Seasons change. We change. The world changes. And so when we stand where Jesus stands, we see the world differently, and we begin to recognize what's important. Things that are important today may not be the same things that were important years ago. Things that were important years ago may not be the same things that are important today. Here's one example. Just after this narrative that we've read about Jesus being introduced to Andrew and then Simon Peter, Jesus and the disciples go to Cana of Galilee. He's been invited to a wedding. They're at the reception. They're all having a great time until the wine runs out. Everyone gets in a dither, and Mary comes to Jesus and says, Hey, they're out of wine, and Jesus kind of talks smack to his mom, but then he ends up turning water into wine. Turning water into wine. Do you know what my church told me the most important thing to know about that story is? It wasn't really wine, it was grape juice, they said. That was their answer to this story. There is a whole theology based on it being grape juice, not wine. Later, we got more sophisticated. We got okay with the wine, but then we focused on the quantity of the wine or how the wine got changed or what was going on with the steward that the wine steward thought this was the best wine of all or, or the big question, why'd the wine run out in the first place? Does this have something to do with Jesus and his disciples being at this party? You know what I mean? Like they drank too much? What, what's this? All kinds of questions. And we never looked at the story that speaks of extravagance, that speaks of abundance, that there's enough for all, that God, when God shows up, there's a party it's not sadness and gloom and doom. It's, it's community gathered together, family gathered together, people celebrating the gift of life and love at a wedding, and somehow we miss that whole story. John Lennon said, living is easy with eyes closed, misunderstanding all you see. 
or if you prefer a Bible verse, one that gets repeated by the psalmist, by Isaiah, by Jeremiah, and even by Jesus. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Let me be clear that I am not saying that how we've done church in the past was wrong. I'm not judging it. I'm not criticizing it. Rather, I'm saying, what are those things that are no longer helpful or needful for today's vision as a church in the 21st century? Especially if this come and see that Jesus calls us to radically alters our vision and our values and our whole version of reality. Ricky Jones said to us yesterday, if you're not a radical, you're not relevant. Are we willing to be radical in the way that Jesus was radical? Radically including all of God's people. Radically seeing this world as gift and creation as gift Radically understanding that we're all God's children. Radically trying to embody love that heals, hurts, and and finds the, the place where we can all live together in harmony and unity. The work of the church is to ask Jesus today, where are you staying? Where are you, Jesus? And when we ask, we hear the response. Come and see. Come and see. To come and see is to do more than just believe facts about Jesus. For too long, Baptist churches have implied that the only thing important about Jesus is believing that he died on the cross to save us from our sins. That's a hugely important truth. But it is a truth that is greatly reduced when it becomes nothing more than a shibboleth, something that we just say to say we're in the club. I believe in Jesus. Jesus never came to be believed. He came to be followed. And to see life through him, to allow him to be the lens through which we interpret our own lives and our own value, is to see the world in a radically different way. With Jesus, rather than seeing differentness between people as something to be feared and something to be controlled and contained, Jesus welcomed everyone. Rather than use people and things for our own purposes, use them indiscriminately and thoughtlessly, Jesus said, everything in this world is sacred. It's all gift. Don't waste any of it. As Richard Rohr says, Everything belongs. Everything belongs. Rather than focus on me and mine and our little club, Jesus says, be free. And recognize that you're not free until everyone is fully free. And in a competition-based world, in a, in a dog-eat-dog culture where there's violence and fear, God's plan comes along and says, there's community. There's what we hold in common. There's ways that we collaborate together to be the people of God. It's who we are. 
And any time religious rules and regulations impede God's intention to love, inclusion, and harmony, then we have to toss it aside. Give thanks for what it did for us in the past and move forward into the future because nothing, nothing is more important than God's sacred love and inclusion and harmony being lived out by the people of God. It doesn't happen immediately. I'd love it if we could have a vision 2020 time and we would have the answer and we'd just be on our way, but it never happens quite that way, does it? I'm reminded of the man who was healed of his blindness by Jesus in Mark chapter 8. Jesus touches his eyes, and the man says, I see, but I see men, they look like trees walking. In other words, he doesn't have full clarity. He doesn't see the boundaries right. And it requires of Jesus a second touch, which is okay. Our Alcoholics Anonymous friends remind us to stay and hang in until the miracle happens. We will see if we'll trust. But like the AA program, you have to show up. You have to be woke, ready, willing to hear that which is bigger and more eternal than yourself. Richard Rohr says deep seeing doesn't happen until we first experience God actively and lovingly working in our lives. And then, then it makes sense. You begin to see what you've not seen before. And you recognize it. And you recognize you're looking through a new lens so that you see more. You see more. I didn't see my privilege as a white man, as a male, as a heterosexual in this world until someone pointed it out to me. And now I see. Oh, okay. Now I see. I didn't see how competitive I was. I didn't intend to be competitive. But apparently I'm competitive in everything I am and do. And someone pointed it out to me. And now I'm like, oh, I see it now. Thank you. I see. I didn't see how my love for order had a shadow to it. It can, it can uh, lapse into controlling and trying to contain and, and limit what I try to manage. It's been pointed out. Now I see. Jesus, where are you staying? Come and see. Then there's the byproduct of seeing, which is sharing. From seeing, we share with others. Andrew sees what he sees in Jesus, and he goes and finds his brother Simon and says, I found it. Come with me. Sharing solidifies this truth in our heart and it sends the vision out into the world even farther. Because for us to be the light to the nations that we talked about at the beginning of this hour, it's going to take a whole lot of us. 
whatever competition, whatever classes, whatever denominations we've lived with heretofore are of far less importance than spreading the word that God is not done. The kingdom is coming. God's will can be done on earth as in heaven. Friends, may we see what is ours to see. May we do what is ours to do. Will you sing with me?